1: And welcome to episode 11 of the Kennedy Mile Report, sponsored by our friends at Rocket Matter. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Well, next week time is the big ILTA conference, one of my favorite legal tech shows each year. Unfortunately, I won't be able to attend in person this year, but I'm hoping to be there virtually by way of blogs, Twitter, and the web. Tom on the other hand is about to vacation in Cape Cod in person Tom would you step away from your packing and tell our audience what to expect in this episode
2: it's it's tough for me to uh, to come and talk about technology but I'll I'll, I'll Soldier on. Uh, In this episode, we're going to discuss the idea of online reputation management, not uh, not the legal stuff. We're not going to talk about too much legal stuff here today, but really some practical tips and advice that you can follow to protect your your personal brand, your professional brand on the Internet. We'll then turn to our question and answer segment and answer a few audience questions, and then we will wind up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can begin to use as soon as this podcast is over. But let's go ahead and start with our main topic. Dennis, you emailed me this week saying we need to talk about online reputation management. What, what was it that got you thinking about it?
1: Well, Jim Callaway had a great post on his blog about online reputation management and where he said the first rule is to avoid self-inflected wounds. And I, I really like the post. I had a couple of conversations with, with people recently about the, the whole online reputation area, especially when it comes to Facebook and friending your boss and, and coworkers. And you see a lot of scary stories, a lot of the legal concerns. And I just don't like the scary stuff. I, I don't really think think it helps people, so we both like to focus on practical things that, that people can do and kind of the the steps you can take to to help yourself and have a better experience but uh, Tom first of all why don't why don't you give us an idea of what we mean when we say online reputation management?
2: I think I'm going to go kind of a broad way in describing this and, and say that everything that you do or say online, everything that you write online, every account that you sign up for uh, has the potential to be public. It create it becomes part of uh, if we want to use the term branding, it becomes part of your brand online. And, uh, as as we'll talk about during this show, uh, everything that you put up on the Internet can be and has been forever so far. And uh, finding negative things about you on the Internet is never a pleasant experience. And with the fact that uh, the with social networking, uh, the places where you can have uh, information about you are expanding exponentially every day. Uh, it's important to be able to learn how to manage that online reputation to make sure that uh, 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 that, that if you're running a law practice or you're running some other kind of business, that there aren't things that are occurring on the internet that are preventing you from uh, being successful in that business. That's generally what I think of when I think of online reputation management. Do you have anything to add to that?
1: Well, I like your notion of of the permanency of it. I mean, in school, we were always warned about stuff going on your permanent record. And, and <laughs> we never really knew what that might be, but we were always a little scared of it. And I actually saw what what I believe is my permanent record about 15 years ago in, in, a, in a file, and it really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. But I I think when you, you think of online reputation management, the first step is, is really the one that people most underestimate and they're even a little embarrassed about. It's, you really need to know what your online reputation is and what's out there about you. And some people sometimes disparagingly use a term called ego surfing, but I think you really have to on a regular basis start searching on your own name or on your firm's name and, and get an idea of what's out there about you.
2: Oh, I definitely agree that uh, that your online permanent record has the potential to be a lot worse than uh, what you were promised in school. But uh, there really are two. Two aspects to online reputation management and 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 they both begin with m The first one is what you talk about ego surfing. I prefer calling it monitoring monitoring what 's going on about you online. The other one we 'll talk about a little bit later is on how to manage that reputation a little bit better. but with monitoring what 's really amazing to me is the number of tools that are out there that uh, that uh, people can use to uh, discover what 's uh What's going on with their online reputation? Uh, you know, Google Alerts, uh, a Twitter search these days, having a Twitter search that you save can easily be something that will help, uh, help you learn more about what's going on with you uh, online. Dennis, want to, uh, what, what kind of tools do you use?
1: Well, I, I've always, I mean, for years and years, I've done this. Every time there's a new search engine, and on a regular basis in Google and the other search engines, I'm running a search on my own name from time to time to know what's going on. Google's also made it easy by using, you can set up Google alerts on your own name, or if you're the a firm, your firm name, uh, Technorati searches, uh, a number of things. So you, I even have RSS feeds that let me know when my name is, is mentioned. A lot of companies, a lot of firms do that, so it comes to you automatically automatically. There are a, a number of tools out there, and, and I think you're right that, that Twitter is sort of the new one where you can really pick up when when people are talking about you.
2: Well, and I think that what we're going to put in the show notes, I've, I've got a list of at least a dozen other tools that purport to help track information about you. And and I I signed up for one the other day, not necessarily to uh, not necessarily track information about me, but uh, there's a site that uh, and I've completely forgot the name of the site. I'll put it in the show notes that allows you to see what your friends are doing online. And uh, it makes you. Uh, it allows you to. They, they surf the social networks of all of your other friends just by using either your Google contacts or your Facebook contacts, and it tells you when they post new items on certain sites that you may not be a member of, but uh, you're able to see what's going on with them. It's a. It's to me a fairly invasive tool, but it's it's indicative of what you can find out there now. This one costs a little bit of money. I I, I put down a little bit of money just to see what kind of information you get, and it's very powerful. The amount of information you can get but some of these tools and and like i said they'll go in the show notes will you can do some of them for free google alerts twitter search roleo is one of my favorite uh roll your own search tools uh that i haven't used in quite some time but it's still very good but like i said a lot of others from free to pay that you can use Um, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, and I'll turn it over to you, is kind of how to manage. What, what are some of your best tips for managing uh, your reputation online? Somebody says something negative about you online. Uh, what, you, Dennis, are you going to tell the person to how to deal with something like that?
1: Well, I I think people kind of over worry about the negative comments because I, I just say kind of step back and and think about it because. Um, whenever you have a blog or you have a website your sort of fantasy is that a zillion people are looking at it. The fact is that typically just a few people even notice these things, and even on Twitter the stuff is rolling by you so you can actually there are there are things that are negative that will kind of just roll on by that people won 't even notice uh, unless you draw attention to it, which you might if you do kind of a of, you know a, a snarky comment or a, a mean spirited comment or, or or be really aggressive in responding to some of those things. And so I always say kind of step back. And this is from the days of email, too. You know, if you're angry, uh, then, you know, wait a day before you you fire off a response. So, so part of the management is saying, OK, how negative is it really? Um, what is the audience for that? What's the impact going to be? Am I just going to draw more attention to it and, and assess things that way? Um, if there's stuff that's really factually wrong or, or, or really harmful where it requires a response, then, then you probably need to do that. But what I found is a lot of times a response just isn't needed. And you can also kind of turn the the, the negative into a positive in a number of ways. And actually, for me, probably the angriest I've been at some negative things. Um, I didn't respond to them directly, but I, I wrote one of my favorite posts, and I've done this a couple times, called Blog Space is a Generous Place, where I just kind of focused on the positive aspects of the internet. And that kind of released my negative energy about the negative comment.
2: You know, I think that's probably that's probably one of the first things you want to do is to deal with the, with the negativity. One interesting concept that I've heard uh, on how to manage it is sort of the the opposite of dealing with the negative comment. And I and I think that it also has a place, but I, I think dealing with that negativity first, to the extent you can, is important. If I go online and I do a search for Tom Mile and I see a negative comment coming to the top of Google, I, I'm not real happy about that. And so so one of the recommendations that I've seen is, is, and one way to to get a, a, around that or to maybe game the system yourself is to go out and claim profiles on the major services. You know, if you have a LinkedIn profile, or, or even if you don't, if you have a Facebook profile, a Twitter profile, claim your Google profile. The more. Profiles or blogs or sites that have your name attached to them. Uh, if I do a search on your name, those sites are more likely to push to the top in a search engine. Now, those who who recommend that, the critics of that will say, "Well, you're not really dealing with the negative comments." And and so I say, you got to do both. You can't just uh, have everything positive be at the top. You've got to find some way to deal with the negative comments. And and I think that that the, what you described, Dennis, is is really a good way to do that. Uh, I, I think that one other important thing, and then I'll turn this over to you for kind of final thoughts, is making sure that you kind of, I say, hang out in the right neighborhoods, joining the right groups, Uh, don't. Don't plan to do something professional on Facebook if if you want to do something personal on Facebook. Learn to use Facebook in a way that that your friends uh, will only see the pictures that you want them to see and your professional acquaintances likewise. If if you don't feel like you can split the difference there, then then don't. And make your professional network LinkedIn and your personal network Facebook. Uh, Join groups on LinkedIn that have like-minded people so that if you do get attacked, if negative comments are made, then hopefully your friends and the people that you've uh, become acquainted with in these groups can come to your defense and can say nice things about you. I, I think, though, I, I'll take one article that I read from Andy Beal that your online reputation really boils down to three different things: it's sincerity, transparency, and consistency. If you're able to maintain all three, you've got a good chance at keeping a good online reputation. You agree with that?
1: Yeah, I I, I think that's I think that's great. And sort of like be who you are, uh, be civil, use good judgment um understand the permanency of of what's going on out there now and 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 also I think you have to realize how many places uh, you know how big the the potential audience is I mean I remember uh, specifically one one example time remember uh, it was about a year or so ago, maybe or maybe not even that long, when Kevin O'Keefe had set up the Lex Tweet, which then sort of aggregated lawyer lawyers who are on Twitter and and aggregated the posts that they made to to Twitter. Yep. And it just started out, and you and I were uh, watching one of our favorite shows, Top Chef, uh, in different parts of the country, and we were talking about it, and and one of us used Twitter to talk about it, and we saw that it appeared as the first item on Lex Tweet. Well. Well then we realized that and we had fun with that. So we had a little back and forth. We pulled in a couple of other people. Um, but I a lot of people don't realize that it's possible, uh, depending on how you have things set up, that something you post on Twitter or Facebook can appear in the other place, that people are aggregating things out of Twitter. Uh, and so that you have you have this audience. And you go back to the days of email when you're saying Hey, I would like if I'm post if I'm writing something, I sort of have to assume that the person I most do not want to see it is going to see it. And then I should use good judgment and and react accordingly. Um, let's get it out of here on this time. I, I I think we only half jokingly made reference to the permanent record that our school our teachers used to warn us about. I mean you really have to assume that what you post, email, or otherwise put on the internet will will be around permanently. And as I said, the the person that you least want to see it is going to see it. So if you if you um act in those ways, monitor as you say, what you're doing, simple searches will do the trick. And then do a good job of managing uh all the aspects of your online reputation. I think that's going to help you a lot more so than, than worrying about what all the scary legal issues are.
2: Uh, as usual, couldn't agree with you more. Hate to be boring, but uh, we, we agree more often than not. Uh, before we move on to our audience questions, though, how about let's take a break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our fantastic sponsor, Rocket Matter.
0: By now, you may have heard of Rocket Matter the blazingly fast online legal productivity application that is saving time and increasing profits at law firms across the world. Easily track time, tasks, clients, and matters. Take phone messages, manage your calendars, even print all your invoices with the click of a mouse. And without installing anything. Stop by rocketmatter.com today and take a look. Rocket Matter. Work smarter. Build more. Save time. Are you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781 551 9960.
2: And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And now it's time
1: for our audience question segment. Tom, what do we have in the inbox today?
2: We've got two questions today, and I'm going to pitch both of them to you, and then I may have responses to, to both of them. First of them uh, comes from one of our listeners, Mark Hancocks. Uh His question is, I will be starting law school soon, and I am curious, what technology is a must-have for a law student to achieve maximum success? Dennis, can you answer that in 30 seconds or less?
1: Well, I, I think that it, it, sort of the hidden thing here, and my snarky comment on on this one is that um, you know, with law school professors today deciding that they own the classroom and what technology you can and can't use, you kind of need to figure out what your law school is going to allow you to use. But let's assume that you're at a, the type of law school that will allow you to live in the 21st century and, and use a laptop in the classroom. I'm really, if I were starting right now, I would go with the tablet PC. I would use Microsoft OneNote and that would really be my base for, for going to law school. And I think that would do everything I wanted. I'm also really intrigued by when you go to Windows 7, there's a sort of multi-touch capability and there's some new, new computers coming out along those lines. But I think that combination of a, of a tablet and, and OneNote is just the most attractive thing for a student.
2: What do you think? If the iPad, if Apple releases the iPad, would that be something you'd recommend to a law student?
1: Well, I mean, I, th- I think you could possibly live with an iPod Touch or a, uh, you know, depending on how you enter data and how you take notes. Well, uh, I, I meant, I an meant, though,
2: I meant, though, the, the iPad. If If Apple releases the tablet like it's rumored to do, what do you think about that?
1: well you know we hear that rumor every year and i guess it's supposed to be now it was going to be this fall now it's 2010 we'll we'll see what happens but yeah i mean i think i think the the advances in the tablet area are are really attractive and i and i think it will improve uh, you know, that technology keeps improving. And, and uh, you know, my experience with the tablet was great, and I, but I just see that OneNote, or I guess you've talked about Evernote as well, but those types of, of software tools are, I think, really well-suited to students.
2: Yep. I, I agree. M- my one suggestion for technology, I, I think that the, the question offers lots of different possibilities, but I'm going to just choose one thing. Uh, you've got the hardware and software covered. I'll handle the internet. Uh, to me, uh, Mark, your one must-have technology is to build a network. Uh, b- given the current legal community and and the way that the job market is right now for people leaving law school, having a strong network not only with your law students but with other lawyers and other people that you meet in companies and corporations and organizations, it is incredibly important to begin building your network now. If that means uh, probably it would mean getting a LinkedIn profile. That would be what I'd recommend at the very most have a Facebook profile, but but begin developing your online network so that when you do graduate from law school, you have those people to rely on. If you need help finding a job, if you need help finding different kinds of work, it's a great referral business. Uh, let's move on to our second question. And this is from Kate Peterson Dennis. She asks, how might lawyers take what we've learned about usability and and, and put that into the software selections that they make? Did I get that right?
1: Yeah. And, and I think that I'm, I've for years have been intrigued by the whole notion of usability. And I've, I've followed, uh, Jacob Nielsen, one of the, the really well-known people on usability over the years, um, in his website and his newsletters and, and, and I'm intrigued by this whole notion of how we actually use software and how we can use it better, and whether there are lawyers work in certain ways, and there are certain things that we like, and how can you take advantage of that? I mean, one of the things that's intriguing, most intriguing to me about our, our sponsor, Racket Matter, is is our friend Ariel there, who who does usability, and, and to me, that's sort of the first time I ran into a legal software company that was using, you know, had a usability person who was involved in what they're doing, and I think that's. Kind of why people, uh, lawyers have responded to, to that, to their software is be, because of that. I also had, at, at different times have, have uh, gotten the chance to, to test or try some even custom software that law firms have put together. And I've just seen that there will be some expectations of how I want to use things that just aren't quite right. And I, I'll use one quick example. Uh, Law firm built a software package custom. It had an Outlook style interface, which is great. That's a great usability thing because it's something we're used to. Um, but one of the things you did, it worked exactly the, uh, in the opposite of way, what you would expect in Outlook. And I said at the time, I, I think this is a deal breaker on this, on the adoption of this software because it, it so breaks the expectation that you want. And, and, and it, I believe that software never really got off the ground at that firm. Um, which I'd say partly for that reason. But I think that if you start to say, what are the things that we can do to say, uh, you know, maybe if we're looking at, at programs, say, how can we ask about what have you done in, in terms of usability? Have you done usability testing? If you're doing something custom, can you hire uh, usability people to actually do some testing to see how it's going to work and what little changes you might be able to make to do things? I think it's a really attractive area for lawyers because lawyers, we're kind of set in our ways and we're used to things and we have naming conventions and we like certain things. So it's, it's one of those things where it's probably a, you a know, more on the big firm side, but I think that it's it could be money well spent where you have big software projects and implementations. I don't know, Tom, if you've run into any of that in the, the e-discovery area where you just sort of see, you're sort of going, hey, if somebody looked at this and how people used it, maybe there's a way to improve it. I mean, that's sort of my sense for how, how you could use these things.
2: Well, I'll only say in terms of e-discovery that uh, the, the review tools that get used uh, by the different companies, there is probably only about, I would say maybe, a 10% Delta between the different review platforms in terms of their usability in terms of the features that they offer uh, I, well in terms of the features that they offer and what it really makes the difference is in that usability is in uh, even though the, the features may be the same how usable they are and that's really what what leads to a, to a successful review tool I'll only offer one very quick anecdote because you you did mention that uh, that that products were coming out And when I was in the law firm a large number of products came out that were trying to to emulate the Outlook interface because it was familiar, because it was a comfortable uh, uh, interface. And, and lots of companies were doing that. I remember Casemap, that was one of the things they touted when they came up with it. But now what I'm hearing, what I think is very interesting is that people who are looking at new software are, are getting bored. They say, well, it looks just like Outlook. Uh, and and that, that doesn't interest me very much. So it's interesting to see what people are saying about usability and and, and how that's going to evolve over time. Let's move out along because we're running out of- of time, let's take it to our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that uh, you can use the second this podcast ends. Dennis, take it away.
1: Well, my parting shot for today is is based on when you're. and I mentioned the ILT show, but basically, when you're a legal technology presentation or show, uh, one of the people's favorite things, and one of the presenters' favorite things to pr- ways to present is the sixty tips in sixty minutes approach. And it's great because there's something there for everybody. Well. I had, so my parting chat for today is, is to say, Hey, can I do 60 tips all day, all year long? And, or maybe even do the tip of the day. And so I have, uh, four, four blogs that are really helpful for finding tips and actually are a great source for tips for the people who present on these topics. The first one I think is most popular with everybody and well-known is called lifehacker.com. Lots of great tips. Uh, There's a real computer expert named Dave Taylor who's been influential in a number of ways who has a great blog called askdavetaylor.com that has a question of the day that he provides an answer to. And then two other examples I'll give that are are, are similar to Dave Taylor are the How To Geek blog and the online... uh, Tips, computer tips from a computer guy blog, Um, just a great little source, Uh, you know, not something for you every day, but just some questions and answers and you might find something that really helps you.
2: For my parting shot, I want to talk about a a site that I came upon this week that uh, is fairly cool, but uh, not completely useful. But it does tie in with the theme of our podcast today. Uh, It's called Personas. Personas is from the sociable media group uh, from the MIT's Media Lab. And what it does is it takes some natural language processing and the Internet and it creates a data portrait of your aggregated online identity. It shows you how the Internet sees you. You just plug your name in, and what Personas then does is it will go through the internet and it will give you a continuum uh, of of how big certain parts of the internet see you on certain areas. So, mine is very big for online, books, management, and legal. There are some others that are slightly bigger that I don't understand, for example, sports uh, and fashion, but uh, I I think it's a fascinating way to see how the internet sees you. Like I said, not sure that it's completely useful, but it's definitely an interesting way to understand what your identity may be on the internet. Uh, obviously, if you have a more common name, it's going to find those common names and uh, and you may not be the exact person it's talking about, but that's part of the, the, the interesting thing about it, according to MIT. But that's my parting shot. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Links to the topics we discussed today as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter will be available at the show notes wiki, which is located at TKMReport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site uh, or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions uh, for upcoming shows, please email us at TKMReport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy.
1: And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.